Own Your Truth with life strategist Laura T. Real advice for regular people. Now, here's Laura. Hello and welcome to Own Your Truth with Laura T. This is my second official podcast and I am so excited to be back with you today. Well, today's topic is something that I've been thinking a lot about and I've titled, Where's the Tolerance? You know, as someone who's committed to the growth and development of people, I'm challenged as I hear more and more organizations, institutions of higher education, corporations, and even the U.S. government talk about increasing the implementation of zero tolerance policies. So I decided to do some research and some of the zero tolerance concepts I easily found include zero tolerance of racism, zero tolerance of online bullying, zero tolerance for minors with alcohol, zero tolerance for harassment, zero tolerance for weapons in schools, zero tolerance on cheating for students, zero tolerance on internet misuse in the office, zero tolerance for abuse and neglect of people with disabilities. Now listen, this is just a few from the list of thousands of zero tolerance policies out there. And don't get me wrong, the concepts behind these zero tolerance policies make sense and are important. You know, when I thought about it, and even as I read this list right now, I say, well, this seems like common sense to me. And I wanna make it absolutely clear I am against everything on that list. The challenge for me as a coach is that the language we're using around these issues is subconsciously impacting how we treat each other. Because we don't think often about how strongly we're influenced by the words we think and what we say. So while we continue to talk about zero tolerance, we are getting exactly what we ask for, a society with zero tolerance. And the thing that blows me away is no one is asking, do zero tolerance policies and does zero tolerance language get us the result we really want? Well, as I started to think about that question, I thought first, we have to get clear on what we really want. So I took the list that I just mentioned above and I thought, okay, if I turn these around, what would we really want? And as I started to go through this exercise, I laughed because I'm astonished that, you know, I haven't thought about this before, but as I started to go through the list, I think, my gosh, we're really off from what we really want. I mean, think about it. Don't we really want fair and equal treatment of all people? Don't we really want confident children? Don't we really want healthy lifestyles for our youth? Respectful workplaces? Safer schools? Increased integrity among students? Engaged employees? And safe places for people with disabilities to live? I mean, this is what we really want. So it made me curious. Since we continue to use zero tolerance language, do zero tolerance policies work? Well, before I answer that question, I thought it would be helpful to get a little history on the zero tolerance concept because I wasn't really sure where did it stem from. 
Well, in my research, I learned the term began in 1994 when Congress passed the Guns Free School Act. The problem noted at the time with this act is, according to experts, although it responded to an important issue, it had been burdened with two major problems. Number one, the act didn't specifically discuss rehabilitation and support services. And number two, it allowed zero tolerance to apply broadly, which means that it included infractions that would previously be seen as minor. And we're going to see how those two problems compound the zero tolerance concept over time. Currently, zero tolerance is used as a shorthand for many school disciplining policies. And it's now extended into the workplace. And now we're seeing it in society in general. So let's come back to the research. Do zero tolerance policies work? It's crazy but statistics indicate they don't, especially in the area where there's the greatest amount of research. Zero tolerance drug enforcement policies for school is the thing that's been studied most. It's been around the longest. So let me give you some of the research that I found. In 2008, the American Psychology Association created a zero tolerance task force to report on the effectiveness of these zero tolerance approaches in schools. And what they found, even from the beginning, is that it really wasn't easy to study because there's a lack of a single definition of what zero tolerance means. And that still holds true today. What they did learn is that the removal of disruptive students in the attempt to create a safe climate had the opposite effect. And I'm going to repeat that. The removal of disruptive students to create a safe climate had the opposite effect. And in fact, there were higher rates of misbehavior. Research also showed zero tolerance policies reflected a higher likelihood of school dropout and failure to graduate on time. So as they started to dig a little deeper, the problem they discovered, which would seem you would think would be logical to anyone who studies childhood development, is that most of the zero tolerance incidents from middle school and high school level students were often a result of poor judgment, right? Any of you who have kids understand this concept, right? Middle school and high school kids lack judgment. And what they know to be true is that that lack of judgment is a result of neurological immaturity. Essentially, that's just immaturity in the brain. These students are not bad students. I have my air quotes, right? These are not bad kids. They are kids who are making silly mistakes because of poor judgment. So I'm going to put this a little bit more simply. Um, and this is obviously isn't from the study. This is just through my work. Zero tolerance, zero tolerance policies don't take into consideration the neuro neurological development of the brain. Right? So the logical side of a person's brain doesn't develop until they're in their, uh, a human is in their mid-20s. So if you take all of these young people who don't yet have a fully developed logical side of their brain, it makes sense that they don't have the capacity to understand the complexity or even the severity of the, the consequences related to zero tolerance policies. So how could they possibly know how to adjust their behavior without that 
support and rehabilitative training, which all studies indicate doesn't exist in a zero tolerance policy environment. So I think it's also important to know that they did a follow-up to this study in 2014. It was a study of school discipline for tolerance. And you know, they had the same findings as the 2008 APA report. Zero tolerance does not reduce school disruptions. So I need to add a personal story here. You know, I, it's kind of a hard concept, this idea of zero tolerance when it seems outside of you, right? It's not something that's impacting your world directly. Well, I work with an exceptional student who was suspended for one day due to a zero tolerance policy. And you know, it was heart-wrenching because despite the situation being a misunderstanding, acknowledged by the school, because of the zero tolerance policy, this honorable student who had never in his life been in trouble at school at any level was suspended for a day. He was a freshman um, and was then put on probation for a year. So here's what makes it even, even harder to fathom. So you've got this great student, never been in trouble before, now has his one day suspension and uh, is on probation for a year. He was told if there were no infractions within the year, then the suspension would be wiped from his record. If there was the slightest infraction, and you need to know the list of small infractions made me nervous for him, it would go on his permanent record, and the longer suspension for the zero tolerance infraction, which would have been done previously, would be reconsidered. I mean, this is crazy. There's no variation for a student who's never been in trouble before in his life. Okay, so with this personal story, all of the research and findings, it seems illogical we continue to use zero tolerance language, and yet we do. Not only do we use it, but the term is being used more and more broadly. So if it's not working in our schools, how has the concept of zero tolerance continued to spread? The irony is the continued use of zero tolerance language kind of makes sense when you consider human behavior. Let's look at the topic zero tolerance is meant to address. Racism, bullying, minors with alcohol, harassment, weapons in school, cheating for students, internet misuse in the office, abuse and neglect of people with disabilities. I mean, these are serious topics. So. It makes sense that the intention of organizations and workplaces is to show their employees and the people around them how serious they take these issues. Zero tolerance was originally thought of as a way to eliminate undesirable behavior by providing an automatic punishment. However, the language and implementation of rules has unknowing, unknowingly and negatively impacted culture, because it erodes trust. And in most cases, it doesn't even address the issue at hand. So in 2006, Harvard Business Review featured an article, The Reign of Zero Tolerance. In it, the author shared an example of a zero tolerance policy where an employee was fired primarily on the basis of his misuse of time on the internet. That's why misuse of time on the internet was a part of the original list. 
what the author did is they talked to various HR professionals and consultants to get their view of the incident. How would they respond if they were in charge of the situation where the company had a zero tolerance policy? The interesting thing is the majority of respondents talked about the ineffectiveness of zero tolerance policies. One respondent said, and I'll quote, human relations aren't as cut and dry as that. Even people engaging in behavior we know is wrong might have something meaningful to say in their own defense, but zero tolerance means they can't. Another respondent said, and again I'll quote, I've worked as a consultant with numerous companies that employ zero tolerance policies. I can understand the appeal. These organizations are acutely aware of the fact that there is nothing more important than your reputations and even a small mistake can threaten the entire brand. As a result, they're tempted to resort to draconian codes, which, for that reason, managers are hesitant to enforce. And so once the passion for a particular practice has cooled and no one is watching, that practice is shelved as burdensome, harsh, and unworkable. Meanwhile, the culture has cha hasn't changed, and the company has suffered a long-term competitive disadvantage. Chai Feldblum, a Democratic commissioner of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, was quoted as saying that zero-tolerance policies can actually make it harder for employers to fight workplace harassment. Not only will zero-tolerance policies be correctly perceived as an unfair system, but it might also chill reporting. A lot of people don't want their coworker to be fired, they just want the conduct to stop. And so there's all of this history and proof that zero tolerance doesn't work. So what can we do? What are our options if we choose to remove this zero tolerance language? What can we do to make things better? Well, if you're in a place where the situations exist, right? The best recommendations I found were actually put forward by the APA in that student study way back in 2008, right? They had three main focuses in their recommendations. One is zero tolerance only be used for the most severe infractions. Two is replace one-size-fits-all disciplinary action by creating a graduated system of discipline. And three, provide training for adults and adolescent development. These three pieces are really important because if we look at the overall theme, the focus is on flexibility. There has to be some flexibility in the rules. The real key, as I see it as a coach, is to foster a culture based on what we really want. And so I'm going to go back to that list that I had mentioned a few minutes ago, the, risk, the list of where I turned these topics around into what we really want. And let's start with fair and equal treatment of people, right? This is so we remove racism. What has to happen for our team to feel like there's fair and equal treatment here? You notice that I'm starting small. I'm starting with you and the people that you work with. Ask them what it takes. Don't guess. And the other important key is to start where you are. You know, it's um, 
idealistic to think you can jump from where you are to some mystical, you know, um, place where everybody gets along. But if people don't believe you can achieve it, they're not going to want to take the steps and the action to move forward. So really work from where you are and take gradual steps to where you want to be. Let's look at confident children. What does it take to build confidence in this child? Notice I didn't say in children. Different children need different nourishment. So one size doesn't fit all for helping students gain confidence any more than one size fits all for zero tolerance of bad behavior. We've really got to look at the individual and what can we do to help build confidence in each individual. What do we do to help create a healthy lifestyle for youth? Well, the questions that I'm asking are, what can I do to promote healthy, a healthy lifestyle for my kids? What about in my school or even in my community? Ask the kids what they want and need. What will help them avoid the temptations of alcohol and drugs? Listen, they're going to tell you, and it's likely they're going to have some good ideas. Okay, so what does it take to create respectful workplaces? Well, I'm going to ask that question. What does it take for me to make this a respectful workplace? Again, don't guess. If you do, you'll be guessing based on your behavioral style and not the needs of the people in your organization. And remember to start small so that you can grow big. Once you create a small culture, people will naturally, that's positive, people will naturally want to become a part of it. What about safer schools? What does it take for parents, teachers, and administrators to feel safe in school? You know, I know one town where the administration took it upon themselves and they guessed that bulletproof windows and no more time in the quad for students was what it would help the school feel safer. And you know what? It doesn't help the students feel safer. They feel like caged animals. And this really great benefit for upperclassmen was taken away. And I know as a parent, if that were my school, bulletproof windows aren't the way I think the school is going to be safer. And so it's so important before we're making these huge investments of time and money that we're asking our constituents, what do you want? What will make the difference for you? Let's talk about increased integrity among students. What does it take for students to care more about integrity than they do about their grades? Has any school asked the students? What about us as parents? What does it take for us to help our students focus on in appreciating the process of learning? You know, I've done radio shows on this topic before. There's such an unhealthy obsession with grades. It's making sure that we're showing, showing and working with our kids to find ways to help increase integrity. Engaged employees. What does it take for my team to feel more engaged? Get specific, stay small. People will have answers. And remember, just because people have ideas, it doesn't mean you have to implement them all. Pick the one or two you think will have the greatest impact or the one or two you think have the, the greatest interest and try it on, see if it fits. If they don't fit, the ideas don't fit, try something else on. You know, it's funny, when we look at adjusting behavior um, and one idea doesn't fit, we often give up and we go to the assumption like, oh, nothing's gonna work. And so with my clients, I often use the analogy, you know, if you go to buy new clothes and you try one thing on and it doesn't fit, 
Do you leave the store naked because no clothes will ever fit you? Of course not. You go and try on other clothes. You go to different stores. You may have to stop for that day and come back and shop someplace else on a different day when you have a, good, a better mindset, but you're going back and you will eventually get clothes. So when something doesn't work, try something else on. Use the same approach when you're considering change, whether it be professional or personal. And what about a safe place for people with disabilities to live? You know, the question I'm asking is, what does it take for the disabled residents of my facility to feel safe? For the families of the disabled residents of my facility to feel like their loved ones are safe here? I'm asking the questions and I'm gathering ideas and then we're trying things on. You know, as I went through that list, the common theme you can hear is to ask, ask, ask. We assume we know what's best for people, and in most often it comes with the best of intentions, but unless we are asking the people that we're working with, we're guessing, and statistically, it's more likely we're gonna be wrong than we will be right. So let's just ask. Zero tolerance is an easy buzzword that makes it sound like our human relationship problems have a quick fix. The bottom line is they don't. The only way to improve how we interact and to reduce, because we can never completely stop, wrongful behavior is to truly connect with each other. It's when we connect through conversation, interaction, and physical touch that we see ourselves as one and the thought of hurting someone emotionally or physically is as painful as hurting ourselves. So for me, I pray for more connection and more tolerance. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page. I love your feedback. I want to hear what you think. Do you have any show ideas? Send them my way. My goal is to pump out a couple of these a month, and I'd love for them to be on topics that matter to you. So again, visit the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page. Until next time, I'll hear you later.